Thanks for that, Nick. <clears throat> there is a sermon outline in your uh, bulletins. You might want to pull that out as we uh, look at that. Uh, let me welcome you to <clears throat> Grace Point. If you're new to our church community, if you're visiting here today, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm huge, one of the pastors here. Uh, regulars, I'm going to pray for us uh, as we open the book of Philippians uh, as we start the year together. <clears throat> Gracious God, we do thank you that you speak in and through your word. We do want to ask as we open up the Bible this second day of the new year, we want to ask that you might be so gracious as to not just give us an understanding of your word and where we find unending joy and thanksgiving, help us also experience the transformation and the experience of joy and thanksgiving in our hearts and in our lives as we encounter you in our word, in your word. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, John Donne in his poem that some of you are quite familiar with, maybe it brings back uh, bad memories of three-unit English, but John Donne in his poem, uh, No man is an, it is, it is an island writes, No man is an island entire of itself. And you'll see it there in your outlines. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And what he means to say there is that whether we realize it or not, we're all shaped by the events and the people and the circumstances around us, uh, directly or indirectly. But I want to say to you uh, as we open up the Bible this morning, that the idea that no man is an island also applies to our measure of joy, our experience of joy, and also our ability to endure and go the distance in adversity. Uh, have you ever noticed that knowing that there are people around you, knowing that there are people with you, people on your side, people supporting you, well, that's what gives you the strength to endure adversity. And it's also what gives you and makes it possible for you to know and experience joy and thanksgiving, even in adversity. Have you ever noticed that? Knowing that you have partners in your adversity actually makes endurance and joy possible in life. Uh, life is a team sport, and so is the Christian life. Now, uh, if in the letter of the uh, Philippians, the book we're going to look at in the next few weeks, Paul in this letter is writing from a place of adversity. Uh, Paul is writing from a place of pain and suffering. <clears throat> he's writing from a place where his freedom has been curtailed where he's not in control of life, okay? So that's, that's where he's at. Uh, and very quickly, as you read chapter 1, you find that Paul's actually in prison. Uh, if you heard Nick read, you would have heard the word in chains. He is in chains for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. His freedom has been taken from him. He's awaiting trial, possible execution. Uh, Christianity was not looked upon kindly or politically or religiously in the first century. Now, in your Bibles, come down to verse 12, because verse 12 gives us... I suspect a much fuller picture of the position Paul is in. This is how Paul described his circumstances. He's in chains for making Jesus known. Verse 12. Uh, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And now this is really important, right? Because this is the background. Paul writes from a posture, a place a position of pain and suffering. But he also writes from a place of thanksgiving and joy. 
which is very surprising, isn't it? He's, he's in a place of pain and suffering, but he also writes from a place of thanksgiving and joy. They both coexist. Now, why is he able to do that? Well, look with me at how Paul opens his letter. I, verse 3 and verse 4. Uh, of chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy ones, some of you have got the version, to all God's saints, it's another way of saying, to those who are set apart. That's what a saint is, someone who is set apart. If you're a Christian, you're a saint, because notice he says, you're set apart in Christ Jesus. Coming to know Jesus has set you apart. And then he writes, to those who have been set apart in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with All their leaders, the overseers and the deacons, the elders and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what happens next is that Paul then says something uh, quite surprising and quite shocking. It's there in verse 3, because remember, he's writing from a place of suffering. And then you read in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. You see there? I think verse 3 and verse 4 are shocking and incredibly surprising, uh, which means that even in his chains, even in his adversity, even when he is, because he's physically alone, even when deprived of his freedom, even when he is no longer in control of his circumstances in life, notice he's filled with what? Thanksgiving and joy. Thanksgiving and joy. That's a recurring theme in the book of Philippians. Uh, And so when he thinks of the Philippian Christians, when he prays for them, he is filled with thanksgiving and joy even in his circumstances. So it's worth asking, isn't it? Because I don't know what your year is going to be like this year, but how is thanksgiving and joy possible in adversity? How is it possible for Paul to know thanksgiving and joy in his pain and suffering? Well, look at verse 5. I think Paul says, or Paul shows us here that it is possible to know thanksgiving and joy when there are people with you, when there are people on your side, when there are people who actually, who've got your back, who are supporting you. Paul says, I'm filled with thanksgiving and joy, even in my change, notice, because of your partnership in the gospel with me from the first day until now. You see there in verse 5? He knows he's not alone, does it? You know, you see that, right? He knows he's not alone. Knowing that you have partners in your adversity makes thanksgiving and joy possible. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Paul's reason for thanksgiving and joy, and hopefully that will teach us something about what it means for us as a church community to be partners in the gospel for the thanksgiving and joy of the people around us. In fact, without partners in the gospel, without partners in the Christian life, your thanksgiving and joy is going to be greatly diminished. You know, sometimes I think that's the reason why we don't experience thanksgiving and joy in the life of the Christian community, because we have not learned to be partners in the gospel. In fact, our ability to keep serving the Lord Jesus in the face of adversity is going to shrink without partners in the gospel. That's one of the things that comes out in the opening uh, paragraph, really, of uh, the book of Philippians. So have a look at verse 5 and verse 7 with me, and here we see why Paul's filled with thanksgiving as he thinks of the Philippians, why he's filled with joy every time he prays. Notice that the good news of Jesus that has saved Paul hasn't just saved the Philippian Christians, it has made them partners in the work of the gospel. Not just partners in the Christian life, but partners in God's mission. Look at verse 5. Look at what he says. Paul gives thanks to the Philippians because they have been partners in the gospel with him from the very beginning. 
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then in verse 7, we again read of this partnership they shared in Paul with Paul. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, his present circumstances, or defending or confirming, making the Lord Jesus known, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, I want you to notice that being partners in the gospel isn't just sharing, you know, the benefits of Jesus' work. It doesn't just unify and bind us together as God's family. It doesn't just make us brothers and sisters in the family of God. Uh, Ephesians 2 speaks of us being brought in through the saving work of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of our life together. Ephesians 4 (coughs) speaks of the one body of Christ that we are part of, how we are called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. But the gospel also makes us partners in the work of the gospel. It makes us partners in the Christian mission, which is why today's catechism is so apt, isn't it? I mean, I didn't pick the catechism. Uh, the, the, the Tom Lamb, who looks after the online bulletins, have done that for us. But notice, God doesn't just gather a community. He also sends. Unity as the family of God and unity in the mission of God. Paul was filled with joy because they shared in the work of the gospel with Paul, right? Now, notice verse 5. They partners with him in the gospel from the first day to where he is in prison. And then verse 7, whether in chains or defending or commending the gospel, they share in God's grace. Now, the idea of partnering in the gospel isn't just about having a close relationship, okay? It's not just about having a close relationship, you know, so-and-so is my partner. The, the idea is shared interest. They have a shared interest, They shared a common interest in what? In making the Lord Jesus known. You know, like climbing partners who have a shared interest in climbing, getting to the top of the rock. Or gym partners who have a shared interest in lifting, achieving those gains. Or some of you here, or netball partners who have a shared interest in winning the netball game on Monday or Tuesday night, whichever night you guys play. But the idea of sharing in verse 7 actually takes it another step. It's not just shared interest in the mission of God, Verse 7 speaks of sharing in terms of they are business partners in God's grace. They are fellow shareholders in the gospel, or they are co-workers together in the work of making the Lord Jesus known. Now, often when we think of church community, we only think of how Jesus brings us together, right? He makes us family, which is good, it's true, it's right, that's what we share, the gospel unites us. But there's a second thing we share as God's family. There's a second thing that actually unites us, and that's God's work. God's mission, the love of Christ for His world. So we don't, the love of Christ doesn't just bind us together, we also share the love of Christ for His world. And so Paul doesn't just speak of how we are God's people, holy people, set apart in Christ, verse 1. We're also God's holy people, set apart for God's mission. Which is why, on the front page of your bulletin, I think it's still there, it speaks of our vision, to grow disciples who love Jesus, who love each other, and who love God's will. United in the gospel as we love and serve each other, and united in the gospel as we love and serve God's will. Uh, you see that in Paul's relationship with the Philippians, it was evident. I mean, this was a church uh, community that Paul had brought the gospel to in Acts chapter 16. And it appears that they continued partnering with him even as he left to bring the gospel 
to other parts of the ancient world. And so the gospel doesn't just save us into church family, it also makes us partners in God's mission. Uh, very quickly, have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you might want to look with the, on with the person next to you, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 12. Many of you are familiar with that passage, right? It echoes that as well. Peter, uh, the apostle Peter says that you and I are living stones, and what is God doing? He's bringing those living stones together to build a spiritual house. But notice the spiritual house is not an end in itself, because he speaks of, a spiritual house, a people who will together make him known in both words and work, right? A people who declare the praises of him and call them out of darkness into his wonderful light and a people who will live lives that will bring him praise. That's what it means to be a partner in the gospel, a shareholder in the good news of the Lord Jesus. You know, my previous church, uh, I came from an independent church many, many years ago, probably over two and a half decades ago. Uh, and the thing about independent churches in our city, not like Presbyterian or Anglicans, independent churches are normally registered as companies. I don't know whether you realize that. Uh, and companies, they're registered as companies with limited liability. And that means legally, the elders in the church are board, are board members. They're, board of, they're the board of directors. Uh, and when you become a member, you actually literally become a shareholder in the company, a partner effectively in the company. Now, that church property that I came from 25 years ago at the time, I think was worth about $2 million. They had 500000 in the bank. Uh, and so when I left, basically, Kevin, who was a friend of mine uh, who had left with me, we calculated, right, just for the fun of it, we calculated and we thought, wow, if the church closed down, and we did, um, what happens is, you know, when companies close down, uh, all the assets, all the money, it gets liquidated, right? And so guess what? If you're a shareholder, you get a share. And so we calculated and we worked out, hey, if, if it closed down, we would be entitled 16,000 each as shareholders. Now, obviously, today, if that church closed down, we would be entitled to a lot more. Now, I'm not a shareholder anymore because I'm not a member of that church. So I'm not entitled to anything, but here's the thing, isn't it? If you're a shareholder, as some of you are, if you're a shareholder in a company, you benefit from the profits each year, don't you? It's the same with the gospel. We are shareholders in the gospel. Paul and the Philippians, they shared all the benefits of the gospel. God's salvation, forgiveness of sin, a right relationship with God, community. But you'll notice as well, they also shared in the work of the gospel with Paul. And that's why even in prison, deprived of his freedom, he's filled with thanksgiving and joy. He's, he's not jaded serving Jesus. He's not serving Jesus alone. There are people with him on the journey. He knows there are people supporting him. And I know in this room, some of you own shares and you're shareholders. Uh, I happen to own NRMA shares. I don't know how I got them. Maybe my parents gave them to me. But I'm also the type of shareholder who doesn't attend any meetings. Uh, I never vote. I have no idea what their goals are. I don't even know whether they're going well or not. I've never checked on my NRMA shares. In fact, my relationship to NRMA as a shareholder is a very distant one. I'm actually a not very good shareholder, am I? Now, here's the thing, th thing isn't it? If you, if you think with me for a moment, if the Bible says we're shareholders in the grace of God, we share not just the benefits of the gospel, but the work of the gospel. I think, I think it means sometimes we relate not just to our gospel workers in the same way, quite distant, our missionaries and mission partners. Sometimes we also relate to God's church and those who serve the gospel around us in the same way. We're not always very good partners when it comes to the gospel. 
But as shareholders in the gospel, notice the Philippians actually shared in the work of the gospel with Paul. They got behind Paul's work of making the Lord Jesus known. And so, can you see why Paul was filled with incredible thanksgiving and joy even in his adversity? He wasn't despairing. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't holding a pity party because he knew he wasn't alone. He knew they had his back. He knew they were with him. They were supporting him. And so you discover the Philippians were not distant. They were not disengaged. They were not disinterested shareholders in the Christian life and the Christian mission. The Philippians are a model of what it means to be partners in the gospel. And I think that's why it's there in the New Testament. It's teaching us as a church what it means for us to be partners in the gospel. Not just in sharing the benefits of the gospel, but the work of the gospel. Do you know what most discourages and disheartens a community group leader? Have you ever wondered? What most disheartens and discourages a community group leader? Well, it's often when they feel like they're alone serving the community group. It's often when they feel like they're the only the people who cares about the welfare of the group. It's when the group is disengaged and disinterested. It's when no one in the group seems, seems interested in the community group. When no one in the group responds, that's when your community group leaders feel most disheartened and discouraged. Do you know what most discourages a missionary? And we've got lots of missionaries here at Grace Farm, lots of gospel partners. Well, missionaries are most discouraged when they feel like they're alone on the field when it appears no one reads or even responds to their newsletters, when it appears no one knows or cares about the ministry they're engaged in, when there is silence for three, four years and not a word from the ascending church. I speak to lots of pastors, a lot more these days. Do you know what most discourages and disheartens a pastor? When they feel like they're alone in serving the people of God, when they feel like they're the only people who care about the church, when people in the church community are disengaged and they aren't willing to serve, when no one in the church is interested in God's mission. You see, we're called and we're set apart not just to belong, but to also be engaged in mission together. To belong together and to be engaged in mission together. That's what it means to be partners in the gospel. And so listen very carefully. You cannot truly be a partner in the gospel if there's no commitment to the work of the gospel. Did you hear that? You cannot truly be a partner in the gospel if there's no commitment to the work of the gospel. Now, how did the Philippians share in the work of the gospel with Paul? Well, uh, very quickly look at chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. It's there in your outline as well, so you may not have to turn to this one. And notice what Paul actually says of how they partner with him in the work of the gospel. He says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. <clears throat> so how did they share in the gospel with Paul? How did they partner with Paul? Notice how practical gospel partnership is. They supported the work of the gospel financially. You see there? They gave financial aid to Paul to help him make the Lord Jesus known. And so, partnership is more than just talking about God's mission, but financially supporting God's mission. 
That's what shareholders do. That's what a partner actually does. They invest, they finance, they put in, they provide because they believe in the work. They share in the work. That's the reason why when you become a partner in any enterprise, right? Some of you, if, when you become a partner in any enterprise, a startup, business, law firm, whatever, it requires not just a verbal commitment, but a financial commitment. It's no different with God's mission. Now, I want to take a step back because I want to make sure you don't misunderstand me this morning. Christian people do not invest in God's mission to earn God's favor. We never do that. We don't give financially to pay for our past sin or guilt or past. Giving in a church community is not a means to secure God's approval. Becoming a Christian hinges not on our work, but exclusively on Jesus' work alone. Everything bad about us, He bears. He carries. It's placed on Him. That's why He died on the cross. Our sin, our guilt, our shame was laid on Him. And everything good he actually, about Him becomes ours. Everything good about Jesus becomes ours and covers us. Jesus covers us with His beauty, His goodness, His obedience, His justice, which means we do nothing. He does everything. We can only receive what He's done for us. Unlike religion that says... Work to earn your salvation, do to be saved. Christianity says Jesus has done it, receive. One says you must do, the other one says it's been done. And so the Christian life is actually lived in thankfulness and gratefulness in response to what has been done for us. Giving for the Christian is actually an expression of thankfulness and gratefulness because we love the gospel, because we believe in the worth of the Lord Jesus, because we want others to see and come to know the Lord Jesus. And so, gospel partnership is a fruit of a life saved by the gospel, the fruit of Christian conversion. So, that's the first thing I want us to realize. But you notice that the Philippians weren't just financial partners in the gospel of Paul. Notice they didn't just give financially. They took a real interest in Paul, and they sought to practically help him. They sought to practically help his needs by personally, physically encouraging him in every possible way. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, right? Uh, have a look at chapter 2, verse 25, verse 30. It should be there in your outline as well. Uh, we actually read of how when they heard Paul was in prison, they sent someone from their church to physically meet his needs, to bring him a gift, to provide for his physical needs, to practically help him, to actually encourage him face to face. Have a look at verse 25 to verse 30. It's there in your outlines. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, so they sent Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. That's what gospel partnership entails. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because, he, distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not on him also, but on me also, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him back so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. And then he says, welcome him, honor him. And then verse 30, because he almost died for the work of the Lord, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And so you notice that gospel partnership isn't just financially supporting the work of the gospel, right? It's not just like your direct debit, set and forget, ah, oh, I'm now a gospel partner. No, 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 no. It's also practically encouraging and helping those who are serving the gospel, right? Often we think this is what gospel partnership is, right? We sit and we forget, huh, I'm a partner in the gospel. No, Paul actually says there's a second element to gospel partnership, which is the practical help and encouragement the Philippians actually gave him. 
they sent Epaphroditus to encourage and help Paul. He went to encourage and help Paul. He was willing to go. Notice that Paul calls the work of Epaphroditus. Verse 30 is so significant. I only noticed it this last week. Notice that Paul calls the work of Epaphroditus. And I can tell you this, Epaphroditus was not preaching the gospel. What was he doing? He was physically meeting Paul's needs. He was there encouraging Paul in prison. He went to meet Paul's needs and encourage Paul. Look at what what verse 30 calls that. The work of Christ. He is serving the work of Christ. That means your encouragement and your practical help to those who serve the gospel is actually serving the work of Christ. Have you ever realized that? Notice that gospel partnership isn't just financially supporting the work of the gospel, but also practically encouraging and helping those who are serving the gospel. And I'm not talking about your pastors and your missionaries or leaders, but those who are serving the gospel around you. Those who serve the gospel in the lives of your kids and teens in Sunday school and extreme. Those who serve the worship of the gospel in your life in our music teams and our AV teams, those who serve the hospitality of the gospel in the front, in the welcoming desk and the morning tea teams. Partnership in the gospel isn't just shared financial commitment to the work, but also a commitment to personally encouraging and helping those who are serving the gospel. Now, Paul gives thanks, and Paul is filled with great joy because of their partnership with him. From the time they became followers of Jesus to the present, they gave financially to support Paul, and they worked practically to help and encourage him. Paul and the Christians at Philippi are actually an example to us of what it means for us to be partners in the gospel. Because we're called not just to share in the benefits of the gospel, but also the work of the gospel with our lives, our time, our finances, our resources, our treasures in life, to do two things, to give financially and to give practical help and encouragement. Two things. Let me share with you the problem of the modern shareholder. This is the problem of the modern shareholder. Uh, The problem with today's partners in many churches, they vary from church to church, but I can tell you this, you find them in every church. And so it's there in your outline, four possibilities. You have the silent partner or shareholder, okay? They only appear at Christmas and Easter, okay? Sometimes not even at all. Zero giving, zero help, or encouragement given to anyone. Then you have the double-minded partner or the double-minded shareholder. The partner who wants everything, so they diversify in their life. One foot in the world, one foot in the church, which means they're half-hearted when it comes to God, half-hearted when it comes to life. Mediocre in everything, which means mediocre in their giving, mediocre in their time serving God. They give when it's convenient, and when it's not, they're not around, which means leftover giving and leftover help and encouragement given. And then you have a third partner. You have the self-absorbed partner or the self-absorbed shareholder. All about me. What I can get out of this life or this church. So I invest in everything except the ministry of the gospel. It's all about what I can get and gain. So nothing goes out into the ministry of the gospel. No time is given, no financial contribution, no interest in anything that does not actually benefit me. 
I want the benefits of the gospel, but I have no interest in serving the gospel. Again, zero giving, zero help or encouragement given. And so you've got the silent partner, then you've got the double-minded partner, and then you've got a self-absorbed partner. And let's be very, very honest, there's nothing Christian at all about any of that. Okay? But then there's also reason to give thanks and be joyful. Because in the life of a church community, you also find faithful partners in the gospel. Men and women who are committed not just to the Lord Jesus, but to the people around them, who are bearing the fruit of the gospel in their lives, right? Who with thanksgiving and joy, you would actually genuinely call partners in the gospel with you. They give financially, not just to the work of the ministry, they give generally of their time, their talents, their treasures, they give of themselves, and they give of themselves to to do, you know what the Philippines are doing? They give of themselves to share the load and the burden of the work of the gospel. They, they help others around them carry the burden of the work of making the Lord Jesus known. They work together with others in the ministry of the gospel. They, have, they offer practically help to serve the gospel with the people around them. They're working to see Jesus proclaimed and made known with others. And so they're not absent partners, they're not double-minded partners, they're not self-absorbed partners. Have you ever noticed this? Some of you have been around Grace Point long enough to notice. Have you ever noticed this? What's most discouraging when you are serving others in a church community? Like, there's lots of you here who serve, right? Served us here for, some of you have been here over two decades. But have you ever noticed, what's most discouraging when you're serving others in a church community? What's most discouraging when you're serving in a ministry? Well, it's when you feel like you're alone. When it looks like no one else cares about you or the ministry you're serving in. When, when no one is willing to serve or is interested in serving with you. But notice this, when you see others care about you and the ministry you're engaged in, when you see others willingly serve and share the burden with you, It doesn't just fill your heart with thanksgiving and joy. It encourages you to press on. It encourages you to keep going. Why? Because they're partners in the gospel around you. See, your measure of joy in serving the Lord Jesus depends on partners in the gospel. And the measure of joy and thanksgiving in a church community serving the mission of Jesus is dependent on the kind of partners in the gospel a church or community will be. No man or woman is an island in serving the gospel. We need partners to know endurance and joy in serving the Lord Jesus. Our joy as a church community this coming year in serving the Lord Jesus, the joy of your leaders, the joy of those serving is dependent on each of you, what kind of gospel partner you will be. And so it raises the question for us, doesn't it? What kind of gospel partner will you be this coming year at Grace Point? What kind of shareholder are you going to be in the life of our church community? And it's so important to understand this. You cannot truly be a partner in the gospel here at Grace Point if there's no commitment to the work of the gospel with us at Grace Point in giving to support ministry and in practically helping and encouraging those serving in ministry around you. Our thanksgiving and joy is dependent on the kind of partner each of you will be. Let me draw some points of application for us to consider. Okay, So, uh, in your outline, there's two things I want to highlight. 
If it's true that gospel partnership in your giving and encouragement of others is a fruit of the gospel, if it's true that you cannot be a, a true gospel partner if there's no commitment to the work in your giving and your practical help and encouragement, then here are two things that you need to seriously consider. That's if you're a follower of Jesus, okay? Number one, your giving to gospel ministry is actually an expression of your gospel partnership, okay? Your giving to ministry at Grace Point is an expression of your gospel partnership with us and our mission. Your giving to supporting our students and our apprentices in training for Christian ministry is an expression of your gospel partnership with them. Your giving to supporting gospel workers in parachurch ministries like AFES and City Bible Forum or, or all these other ones in our city is an expression of your gospel partnership with them. Your giving to support the work of church planting through Reach Australia is an expression of your gospel partnership with them. Now, many years ago, I was in New York. And I was doing some work with some Chinese churches there. We were trying to get churches to think about developing ministry apprentices to raise men and women for ministry. And I remember speaking to a young man called Peter, who's in ministry today. And at the time, he wasn't in ministry. He had all the gifts of Christian ministry. He was a terrific Bible teacher, communicator. Uh, he was working a normal job. And, and after work, every day after work, he would run a, a youth space in Chinatown. And he did it really to keep the kids of Chinatown out of trouble. Uh, tremendous ministry. And when I was there, uh, Pastor Ying from CCC was with me at the time. Uh, we saw what he was doing. We were really impressed. And, and so we encouraged him to go the next step, take the next step. We said, Peter, we think you really need to give up your day job. You need to train for ministry, and you need to get yourself into doing full-time Christian ministry. And I still remember Peter, he looked at us in the eye, uh, and he said, if I do that, will you financially give to support me? Oh, gee, you know. Will you financially give to support me if I did it? See, it's very easy to tell people, go and do Christian ministry. Right? It's very easy to say you support gospel ministry. It's very different when you actually have to support gospel ministry. And you're not a gospel partner if you're not giving financially to support gospel ministry. Did you hear that? You know, the majority of people who call themselves Christians will say they believe in supporting gospel ministry. Mission. They even say they love the work of mission. But it doesn't make them gospel partners in the ministry of the gospel if they're not actually giving financially to support the work. Right? That's why in the majority of churches, this is the majority of churches in our city, the burden of supporting gospel ministry is never shared. Two-thirds of, only two-thirds of people actually give to support the work of their local church. That's right, most local churches you go to, only two-thirds. 80% of giving in most local churches... 80% of giving is carried by one-third of the church. Your giving to Christian ministry is a reflection of your gospel partnership and a reflection of how much you value the work of the gospel in your life and the need for the gospel to go and be heard in the lives of others around you. Which is why Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, right? Oh, it's great. You excel, you know, in your knowledge of the Bible, your love for each other. But then Paul also says, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, excel in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in love. See also you excel in the grace of giving. Why? Because your giving is a reflection of how much worth of value 
right? You've placed on the good news of Jesus in your life. That's why Paul goes on, right, from verse 7 to Corinthians 8 to verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich for your sake, He became poor so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. And what do you do with that richness? You give it away. As you start the year, one of the resolutions I talked about last week, right, we started the year together, I said the most important resolution you can make this year is to resolve to follow Jesus. That's the most important resolution you can make. Well, your giving is part of what it means to follow Jesus, to support, to support and to serve His mission. Which is why at the start of each year, it's always good to review not just your Bible reading, right? Not just your prayer life, but also your giving life, your serving life, to excel in the gift and grace of giving, to grow in your gospel partnership. Look at the needs of ministry, the financial needs of your church, the financial needs of Christian ministries, the financial needs of our missionaries and gospel workers and and students, those training for ministry. Your giving to Christian ministry is an expression of your gospel partnership. So that's number one. Here's number two. Your personal encouragement and help to those serving the gospel is an expression of your gospel partnership. You see, Paul is filled with thanksgiving and joy, even as he served the gospel in adversity, right? Right? not just because he had partners who supported him financially. I can tell you this, right? We have missionaries. uh, Their financial needs are fully met, okay? But sometimes even if your financial needs are fully met, you can actually still not experience thanksgiving and joy. You know what gives people thanksgiving and joy in adversity? When people are there with them. When people are there practically helping them, supporting when they know people have got their back. Paul was filled with thanksgiving and joy because he had partners who personally encouraged and gave him practical help, who came to meet his needs personally. There is nothing more encouraging than someone's presence with you, letting you know that they are with you. Philippians couldn't go. They sent Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, he went. I think Philippians 2 verse 30 is actually worth paying very close attention to. Right, Chapter 2 verse 30. He calls the work of Epaphroditus in personally taking care of Paul, in giving personal help to Paul as doing the work of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it wonderful to know that you can actually be doing the work of Christ by helping others who are engaged in gospel ministry, by simply saying to someone serving the gospel, How can I practically help you as you serve Jesus? How can I be of help to you as you serve in ministry? Is there something I could do for you to help you in your ministry, to carry the burden and share the burden with you? How can I care for you as you go about ministry? How can I pray for you? That's what it means to be a gospel partner. I don't know whether you realize this, right? But you can actually be the source of thanksgiving and joy for others serving in ministry as a partner in the gospel with them. Not just your missionaries, not just your full-time gospel workers and partners, but to your leaders here at Grace Point, your community group leaders, even to those engaged in ministry around you. To say to someone, maybe your community group leader this year, how can I share the burden of serving the gospel with you in this community group? How can I be of help to you as you lead us this year? Is there something I could do to help you as a Sunday school teacher? Is there something I can do to to help alleviate the burden as you serve and help us 
engage with God in worship and the gospel at the sound desk? How can I pray for you? How can I be a support to you? You want to be a gospel partner? Well, you can start right here as you look around you at those who are serving the gospel in your life. Go and be a gospel partner to them. Offer your encouragement, your practical help. Our Sunday school teachers, our extreme leaders, our community groups, leaders, our welcoming music, morning team, lunch teams, the live stream desk. I'll give you one very practical example, right? One of the things I noticed last year is I noticed, you know, the, the teams on music and often the, the extreme team upstairs doing youth stuff, I noticed that by the time they finish, they come down and they have lunch, everyone's gone, right? And then they find that they have to go out, they have to buy lunch, and then they come back. But do you know you could be a great encouragement to them by actually saying to them, we love what you're doing, how can we practically help you? And maybe one of the ways we can help you is, hey, do you need lunch? Because we'll go down, we'll pick up lunch for you this week. So that when you finish at 1.30 and you come down, at least there's going to be lunch there. Or maybe a practical way to encourage them is to say, hey, I know often when you come down, there's pe- people are already gone. We're going to stay back this week because we want to encourage you. We want to have lunch with you. You see, it's, it's, it's not hard to offer and to give practical help and encouragement to others who are serving the gospel. It's as simple as asking how can I help share the burden with you? I can assure you that if you do something like that, there's lots of ideas, you'll be a source of thanksgiving and joy to those serving the ministry because they know they're not alone, because they know that they're being thought of, because they know someone is willing to help them, someone is willing to carry the burden with them. Our shared thanksgiving and joy is actually going to be dependent on the kind of gospel partners you and I will be to each other. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we just want to ask that you might actually help us to firstly repent. Help us repent because we're often not a people who think of others. We love the benefits Jesus brings and gives us. But we often don't see ourselves as partners in the work of the gospel. Help us today be men and women, young and old, who share not just the benefits of the gospel, but the work of the gospel as well. Help us see and move beyond ourselves. Help us to be a people who give ourselves to doing the work of Christ in giving to the ministry of the gospel and in giving practical help and encouragement to those who serve the gospel around us. Help us see that we can actually be a source of thanksgiving and joy in the lives of others. And help us also see that we need others so that we can also experience thanksgiving and joy as we serve the Lord Jesus. We ask that this may be true of our church community. In Jesus' name, amen.